personal life and your professional life are inherently linked. And when you do the work on both sides, you can become the most successful version of yourself. This is a place where wisdom meets leadership, where success meets spirituality. Welcome to Do the Work with Denise Love Hewitt. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Vance Garrett. Vance is a soul brother. And as my mom would say every time I tell her I see Vance, she goes, if only he was straight. (laughs) So she knows that he is a beautifully fully realized man. We met over 10 years ago Mm -hmm. on an immersive Halloween pop-up in Times Square that ran for two weeks and was probably a failure. Probably. I'm going to take you through it just because I think everyone needs to really understand what we met through. When you went through this pop-up, you were immediately put into a coffin Mm -hmm. that spun you around. You died, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. output you into hell. Correct. And then you had to travel from hell to heaven, Mm -hmm. which is a metaphor, I think, for our friendship and what we bonded through. (laughs) I would concur 100%. Yeah. I have had the great pleasure since that moment of watching Vance become a cultural pioneer. He is responsible for such iconic events like the Black Party, Museum of Ice Cream, 29 Rooms, Sleep No More, Tyra Banks' Model Land. He is a maker of Zeitgeist, and it has not been an easy ride, but I wanted him to come talk with us because he brings so much joy and depth to my life. I deeply cherish his perspective, and I think we're going to have a lot to glean. Thank you so much, Denise. That's so that's so lovely hearing the introduction and hearing uh, about our beginning. And I can't wait to talk about our journey. It's been such a <laughs> wild ride. We really did like start from the bottom and now we're here. And, uh, and, uh, start from the bottom, now we're here. Now we're here in this amazing uh, studio with a lot of support. So congratulations on uh, arriving here yourself. I can't wait to get into all of it with you. So I really want to know, because very few people have a track record of creating multiple cultural phenomenons. So right. how does that feel? Uh, it's, it's funny that you say the word create. Sometimes I struggle with that. I, I tend to, I often say I'm a part of it, or I was part of the team that launched something. And that's more or less my truth. We can talk about that okay, if very you humble, want. Very uh, humble, but we're talking about you today. So sure. we respect the people that helped you make it happen. How does it feel for you? Because a lot of this stuff was your brain, like your IP. Uh, one way or another, yeah, a lot of it was. I mean, it feels, it feels, it's a mixed bag. It feels great. It feels great to know um, I have that skill or that capability to either set something in motion or to realize IP that the rest of the world uh, responds to or to have the intuition that mm, I think the audience is going in this direction, so I want to meet them there. Um, It feels really fun. And (laughs) I was talking about this with my boyfriend earlier today because I, I, of course, was super inspired by Madonna growing up. Uh, it's no surprise to anyone who knows me. I'm sure it's no surprise to you, Denise. But, you know, I think I think I'm just doing my job. I think I'm just modeling one of my heroes. You have to keep evolving with the times and try to, you know, set things in motion. So But how do yeah. you know? Like how do you know when you're doing something that you're like you're you've these obviously some intuition, obviously, I'm sure there's some data collection. How do you know that these things are gonna like hit at the right intersection to create that reverberation? 
Great question. I don't know if you ever know 100%. I think a lot of the work is done in advance. I think a lot of the work is done paying attention, listening, figuring out, um, as one of my one of my mentors said, identify where's an audience that's not being served? Where's an audience whose story is not being told right now? I think that's part of it. So you try to figure out what the right story is for the right time and figure out what the quality of audience experience is that really supports people's narratives. You know, like the way that that we've been telling stories or experiencing stories since I've known you, it's changed quite a bit. It's like you think about what was going on 10 years ago. You mentioned Black Party. That was, a, that was a party in New York at Roseland Ballroom, which doesn't even exist anymore. But one of the hallmarks of it or part of the experience was people couldn't even bring their phones in. You know, there was no digital – social media didn't even exist at that time. Um, and, and, you know, you were just playing to the, to the space, to the people inside the room. Fast forward now however many years, everything's amplified. Everything is – you're playing to a different screen right now. So I don't know where I'm going with that other than – You have to keep paying attention to how the times are changing and figure out how to tell the story, a story that needs to be told right then and right there. And we can talk through some of the projects to get to be more specific about those examples um, or just add clarity to it. But I don't know if you ever really know that this is this is the right thing for right now. You know, when it's not. You know when you're repeating someone else or you know when that is um, an idea that's fully been exploited. Sometimes you can see it in the arc of looking at who or or what groups of people are talking about something. Um, I tend to subscribe to the to the belief, and I think you and I have have spoken about this. You know, culture often begins with the black community, with the female black community, and often white gay men take it from there. I'm a part of that tribe. <laughs> a lot of my career has been, uh, I've, you know, I've been in a lot of white gay spaces, and we can talk about that. There's a whole history behind that, and there are a lot of problems with that. But if you can look and find out whose voices, who has a lot to say and is not fully being heard right now, I think there are some clues about that's where, that's where pop culture is going. Which is a great note, actually, for the times that we live in, which is we need to be listening. We need to be listening. We need to be listening. And some of us need to learn when to shut up. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So you were on the front wave of the Instagram Museum. Yep. Yeah. As we know today. I didn't even want to be. That's the joke of it. Like to not even want to be. And let me let me address that. You know, I was coming out of having launched Sleep No More was part of that team. And I was hit up after having done some other projects with Refinery29, was hit up by some of their team effectively saying they want their own version of of Sleep No More. And I thought it was so quirky and weird. How could this digital media company want something that is so analog? But we figured it out. And in collaboration with another agency and some of their in-house team, we, we settled on this concept that it would be an Instagram playground. And I thought it would be one and done. I didn't know that, you know, like an Instagram playground would be something that would have all this like cultural resonance to it. But Lord, we launched it and it just, it set a tidal wave in motion that still hasn't stopped. Well, I remember before Vance jumped onto the Museum of Ice Cream, he was telling me about this thing he was pitching for and he... Yeah. Showed me this little uh, mini sprinkle pool. A little, sprink- a little that sprinkle pool. You really pool. had to go to the ends of the earth to get these tiny sprinkles. I did. Um, 
to source those tiny sprinkles for the pitch. And I remember that moment of you going in and you're, you know, you yeah. don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. And then it spawns this huge, yeah. you know. Uh, uh, a wave of attention. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. even know the right word to say, but yeah. it, it spawned this. It, it was a moment, right? It spawned this huge moment yeah. that then became the quintessential, like, avocado museum. Yeah. Like, all these crazy yeah. food museums showed up. And so I want you to talk about that, too. Like, what sure. you created, yeah. an experience that lived beyond you. You know, they say, like, imitation's the best form of flattery. Sure. But in some ways also, I'm sure, is disheartening. derivative, disheartening. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other yeah, emotions yeah, yeah. associated. Yeah. Uh, to add a little more color to what that experience was about, it was right after the original 29 Rooms for Finder 29, someone approached me with an idea about ice cream. Um, a young a young woman approached me saying she's like uh, I have this idea about like ice cream or maybe calling it the museum of ice cream and and <laughs> sat down and had a um, um, conversation with someone who I don't think had a lot of experience in that space so listened 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 heard what some of the ambitions were and some of it I thought were probably not the strongest choice so sat with it put together this proposal. And I remember somewhere in there, there was an ask that every all communication happened digitally or that the pro- proposal go, come back to her digitally. And I, th- I thought it was so off key for something that was experiential or something that was supposed to celebrate the live event or the physical person or the, you know, um, yeah, something that you could touch and feel. So in order to get over that hurdle, I was like, well, yes, but I think I have to go find something physical to bring this idea to life. And that's when, as you know, I, I took this proposal, went to Michael's on, what was that, 6th Avenue and 20-something in, in Manhattan, and was just looking around and like f- found a bunch of sprinkles and a tin. I was like, this is the idea, or this is the right way to present the idea. Like, I, I know I know they want a digital version of the pitch, but I'm going to give a physical thing. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> buried the proposal in that tub of sprinkles, passed it over to her doorman, um, and then we got the project. And ask me your question again, because now I'm now I'm meandering down down memory lane, and I want to make sure. No, I'm that you created what you're you created this thing, okay. and then there was all these copycats, and so there's a part of that that's incredibly flattering, and there's a part of that that's also probably feels- yeah yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, there was a lot of man, such highs and lows with that project alone. I mean, with all with all successful projects, but definitely with that one. I mean, one of the one of the heartbreaks was. I personally didn't think it was going to be as successful as it was. I had an idea that it was going to be successful, but not like it was. And so, honestly, the agreement that I had was just work for hire. You know, like at the end of the day, what I was creating was legally not not mine. And I had to learn a lot. I learned a lot from that. That was just one of the challenges with that project. And anyone who wants to do a Google search right now will read about other challenges that, that have come out of that IP platform. But to see something be set in motion, it's it's validating. You're like, wow, my instincts were right. Or or I see a part of myself out there in the world. And that's really satisfying. And even artistically, a mentor had also said, good art inspires effectively copycats. I'm paraphrasing. But good art sets other things in motion. I'm like, wow, was that a piece of art? I don't know if it was a piece of art, but it was something that inspired other people. But then... 
being a struggling artist in New York City and not getting paid anything and seeing other people are making money off of your idea or ideas similar to it, you're like, uh, maybe it's time to take off my blinders and make some different decisions. And that part, I'm not one to say you need to struggle for your art or art needs to come out of pain. I don't actually believe that, but it's, it's painful when you see people profiting off of something that you either created or were setting in motion. That's, that's not fun. I want to talk about that a bit because oftentimes when you're building a business, if you're bootstrapping your company like I was pre-investment or yeah. you're freelance creative, you get stuck in sort of this survival mentality. Sure. And you're yeah. so concerned with just the next step in getting through that sometimes you miss that sort of larger moment to say, okay, maybe I'm going to ask for some equity here or maybe right. I'm going to, you know, uh, operate differently because you're just moving job to job and trying to just cover your bases. Yeah. And I think that's a really important note for the audience to sort of understand like how we structure our work, even if we're try- trying to pay rent, yeah. that you can't forget about your contribution to yeah. the work. It's so hard to do. I admire people who know their worth and demand ownership of the product that they're creating. I hope <laughs> we won't linger on her too much for the for the sake of the audience. But again, you know, it was like one of the things that I loved about Madonna. It was like she's like, I'm gonna create my own way and I'm gonna own I'm gonna own my work. That's it. I won't I probably won't say her name again. But um I think it it took me an extra long time because it may suggest that you're not nice. It may suggest that you're not being polite. That's probably challenging for, you know, I'm a nice Midwesterner. That's not that's not that wasn't my idea of self growing up. I've realized now that's not to ask for your worth and to claim your stake in something and to get proper credit. That's not being nice. That's just what it should just be. Business. It's just business. It's just business. But it took me a long time. Yeah. How, how long do you think it took you? Oh, I think I think I'm still working through it. But I think it's taken me at least up until I moved out of New York. So that was about three years ago. So I'm 40 now left New York when I was 37. And I, I took a reprieve from the way that I had been working and spent a couple of years leading up Westfield's experiential entertainment strategy for their global portfolio. And they offered me something that I had never seen. And they gave me points in the company or whatever, you know, like shares. I was like, oh, this this is what I'm worth. This is how it can be. And it was such a gift. And Scott Sanders, who's an independent Broadway producer, he's the one who hired me for that job. He, he's produced a lot of great work, probably most famously The Color Purple on Broadway with, with Oprah. And man, that was such a gift for him to say, this is what your worth is. It really changed my life. And ever since then, Westfield was not to be the end-all, be-all job for me. But the the projects that I've taken on in the wake of it and with that awareness, I've negotiated my deals differently. It's not even a question now. Like, I need to have a stake in the company. And you know what? I'm going to work a lot harder for it. I'm going to want it to succeed. And then I'm going to be in it for the long haul. And I'm going to be looking five years ahead. I'm going to be looking 10 years ahead. And those are the that's the quality of conversation I'm having right now. It's not, oh, this is just the project to pay rent next month. It's like, okay, we want to build this thing. And we want to make sure that we're future-proofing it. And what does that look like? So I think it's also changing my output. Yeah. I love a reframe. The important thing is we don't know what we don't know. And I think the, the gift that Scott gave you was he gave yeah. you a different way of understanding how you wanted to work, right? And understanding mm-hmm. that what you had been settling for actually wasn't a reality that you had to continue living in. Yeah. But we don't know till we 
experience it. You don't know until you experience it. I think it's something a lot of artistic types, artists, creatives, innovators need to be aware of. You know, if you're creating new work, other people can't see the value in it. You yourself may not be able to see the value in it yet because the world hasn't validated it. You're you're experiment you're 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 experimenting with things and you're in your you're trying new stuff. So I think it takes a concerted effort for some of us, not all of us, but for some of us to be like, I believe in this idea, I need to own it, or you need to pay me what I'm worth. Did you read the article about Michaela Cole? Uh, I ha- I don't know if I read the article. I've read, I think I've read something in Vulture. So for those of you who yeah. don't know who Michaela Cole is, she's the uh, creator of Chewing Gum on BBC and Netflix, and mm-hmm. then now um, I May Destroy You, which is on HBO Max, but from BBC. And she was a relatively unknown creator, created Chewing Gum, wasn't a producer on the first season, but wrote it. Second season, there was a big battle about making her co-producer, became a massive hit. And then Netflix offers her a million dollars for I May Destroy You, which is her sort of account of her sexual assault and sort of putting the pieces together of that experience. And she was like, called them up and was like, can I have, you know, 5% of ownership? Right. They're like, oh, we don't, we don't do that. And then they were like, she basically was like, Okay, 0.5%. And they're like, oh, well, to take it up the chain. And ultimately, mm-hmm. they wouldn't give it to her. And she said, I'm not taking this deal because this is my work. And the idea that then I don't have creative control or the life of this can live without me is not something I want. And so she went to the BBC where they gave her creative control. Amazing. And I th- think it's a really important note because as an entrepreneur, like when you build a business, you give investors equity. They, they buy into a share of your business. Yeah. As an artist, it should be the same model, but it's not. It ends up being like, here's an upfront fee. And you should be happy with this fee, right? You should be so lucky you're getting this opportunity. And I think what Michaela just did was expose a massive uh, issue in what I I think, you know, I think Hollywood has many issues, but a huge issue, which is that we're not valuing our artists and we're, it's a great way to keep it an exclusionary system, to keep the control and a great way to keep people out. 100%. And I think that we have to, obviously, we're in a time where we need to reanalyze all systems. But I think that was, for me, uh, in Hollywood, it's it's very sort of oppressive in the way that it happens. But on smaller notes, even on anything that you do as an artist, it's important to know that why am I relinquishing my creative IP and control? Yeah. What a story. I am super inspired by it. I'm taking, again, notes for myself. I, I won't name specifics, but I'm, you know, I'm in the deal, I'm in a deal, the middle of a deal right now negotiating with a Hollywood agency. And I just am repeating that exactly this point. I need, I need, actually, I need it for my soul. Like I need to have a stake. I need to have a piece of the pie and I hope I'm being heard. But if not, then uh, I'll have to take the show elsewhere. And you know what? They need us more than we need. Oh yeah, she fired her agent. So then now she's got a team that makes sense for her. So I want to go back to sort of this this pain of building multiple things as work for hire, multiple things, giving your creative juice to something that you did not, weren't necessarily like recognized for, seen or heard on. And that painful process, when did you first sort of start to recognize that you were in, you know, I, I believe that all of us have different lessons we're supposed to learn in each lifetime. Right. And, for you, when did you realize that you had this pattern, this sort of like repetition of your life and your career? When did it start to click that you were like, this keeps happening? Yeah, I think it, it was it wasn't there was not a singular aha moment, but I do think there was a gradual awareness of it. And 
man, it, it, it happened somewhere when I was working on Black Party and I noticed my name wasn't in there. Like I would, I could write a treatment for it, a 12-page treatment that was, that ultimately served as like the inspiration for a well-known pop star's music video. That, you know, I was like, uh, that's funny, but nobody knows that I was associated with it one way or another. Okay, okay, I see that. Or launching Sleep No More and being there for eight months, like trying to get that show up and running and then you weren't part of putting the program together and you look at it and your name's relegated to special thanks. You're like, oh, okay. I've been telling my parents I'm working on this huge thing and now they're going to go see it and they won't even be able to find my name on the program. That's painful, you know. And then that happens time and time again in different ways. And I think around Museum of Ice Cream was a time like I'm never, I can never do that again. I just can never, ever do that again. And I didn't know how I could never do that again, but it wasn't until I think I got that gift from Scott Sanders that I realized, okay, here's a way that it will never happen again. But it was a, it was a process for me. And like, I still don't know where that comes from. And I think that's some of the continued work that I want to do. Maybe it's as simple as I was the middle child. So I was just used to being overlooked. Maybe, you know, my younger Same. twin sisters, right? <laughs> like, maybe that's maybe that's the thing. Maybe we're just it's just our way of life. We're, we're always fighting for attention and it's ordinary time if you're not getting the attention. I mean, I, I'm probably simplifying it, but where, what I'm getting at is it took me many, many years and it's still something, it's still something that I'm having to work through. Yeah. I think that's, that's the thing about patterns, right? Is that it never goes away. We just learn to either wave to it uh, yeah. and keep driving or we just say, okay, it's coming up again. And how do I, it's always an opportunity for you to do to operate differently. Yeah. But I think that a lot of people don't talk enough about career heartbreak and the yeah. pain of specifically artists who operate from a place of heart and passion. And I know my twenties were defined by heartbreak, <laughs> uh, fully defined by heartbreak, personal and professional. Yeah. And what were some of the tools that started to help you navigate this pattern? What were some of the tools that helped me navigating heartbreak, getting me back on Career my career heartbreak? This this pattern in work. Yeah, honestly, I don't I don't know if this is what you're asking, but somewhere in there, I got really depressed. Like I was like, this just like I don't feel seen. I feel invisible. I feel like, man, it doesn't even matter if I. Th there were other projects that I launched that caught fire in their own way and it's they just I I, I could not uh, be front and center with them or if I were I felt like people would attack me for it and I don't again want to name names but uh, so I went to therapy I was like okay I'm gonna like I'm gonna figure out how to break some of these patterns and <laughs> that took like no I love that, therapy we love therapy we love therapy. We love therapists. We may even have a therapist as a boyfriend because we love them so much. Who knows? But, you know, like sometimes you got to be like something feels off and I don't know exactly what it is. So I need help. To me, that's a tool. That was a tool. I think also slowly surrounding yourself with people who see you truly how you see yourself truly is also something that helps you navigate those difficult times and helps you not repeat those patterns that don't work for you. Um, I consider you, Denise, one of my near and dear friends. So the the more that I surround myself with you and the closer that I get with you, I'm able to see myself as I want to be seen. Um, and have, you know, I have other friends out there who, who provide that similar support. But you might have to cut out the people 
who don't see you in that light, who don't see your, who don't prioritize how you want to see yourself. Well, I see you as you are, for the record, <laughs> and you. I just have a loud mouth uh, <laughs> that wants to see you succeed and be appreciated. Thank you so much. So once you sort of moved out, recognized this pattern, started uh-huh. working through it, what was it like sort of standing in awesome. your skin and your power? Like, so what does that fun. feel like to negotiate from a place of worth? It's so fun. It's so fun. I didn't realize it's not, it's not scary. It's actually fun. And I can sit in a room now with celebrities and, and people sit with there, influence. people with influence. influence. Yep. And sit there at the table and say, this is, this is what I need. On the flip side of that, if they are treating you the way that you're not supposed to be treated anymore, you can also say, this does not work for me. And they might apologize. And that was something new for me. And that was fun. It's, it's fun to, like I did yesterday, send an email to someone and be like, this is not the project that I signed up for. We have some problems with it. This is not in my interest. This is in someone else's interest. And to know that they hear that and then pick up the phone and call you and renegotiate to make it worth your while feels amazing. So I'm super grateful to have learned those lessons. I am keeping an eye on it every day to make sure I don't slip backwards. But it feels like you are in your body. It feels like you're no longer in your head worrying or from the outside looking in or projecting so far in the future or being stuck in the past. It feels like you're in your body with your feet on the ground being, like just experiencing the world. And, you know, that's where the fun is. That is joyful. That is joyful. That is play. Okay. So, Vance. Yes, Denise. I love talking about purpose. And I remember, I don't know if it was a year ago, you wrote a very (laughs) long-winded version of your purpose. I did. Could I I ask you to read it? Oh, wow. It was so long. I don't know if I can remember it off the bat. Don't you have it on your phone? I will have to turn on my phone. Can I put you under pressure? Yeah, you can do it. It's worth it. I promise it's worth it. It is incredible. I think I've edited a few times since I've actually spoken to you because I think in terms of Evernote, and so whenever I have an, like a little bit of inspiration or something, I go back in there, and and the problem with that is I can edit it at like forever and ever and ever. So, but yes, I will read the <laughs> the purpose to you, and it's going to be interesting to read it because I haven't seen it for a moment. So I'm going to wonder if I still this is great. We can do it in real time. It. We can do yeah. a real time reading, and then we can see how yeah. you are feeling about it. I'm blushing already because I think I'm going to be embarrassed about it. There's nothing. It's a beautiful. I would not okay. make you read it publicly if I thought it was embarrassing. Okay. I would have told you. Okay. So. I was getting really frustrated because I thought people were stealing my ideas. I remember this. This is what gave birth to it. Like, I thought people were stealing my ideas and that I wouldn't, there wouldn't be room for me to do good work anymore. That was the fear. I'm like, oh. And we never give in to our fears because being a fear-based person just yeah, wreaks yeah. havoc on your life. But, like, that's what I was going through. So, so like, I, I had to stand there, just, like, writing stuff down and be like, what do I stand for? What do I want to do? Like, this existential angst. So, let's do this. I titled it Career Spiritual Intent, (laughs) also known as probably one's purpose and, and my ethos. So here we go. Using theatrical techniques, using illusion to get to the truth, I want to ultimately connect people and astound them with the truth and wonder of here and now, putting the premium on human life and human connection to one another and the environment. I want to surprise and inspire and wow people with, in part, entertainment. (laughs) 
I want to wake them up. I want to be a vessel for stories that need to be heard. I want to make safe cultural and social spaces that facilitate an experience in which people can feel the joy, the awareness of just being alive in their bodies, and how the body and its senses are our threshold to one another and the infinite environment around us. I want people to reconsider their relationship to their environment. I want people to feel a part of something bigger than themselves. That is happiness. I want to create space for transformation. I want people to feel their hearts. I want to have fun and lead by example to allow other people to have fun. We can talk about that. I want to create play. I want people to feel alive. My purpose is to create life force energy. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> and it, I think it still resonates. I think it, I think it does. I think I could use an editing job. But, you know, when I was sitting there in line, that was just what was flowing. That was what I was I also wanted was people feeling. to have a little, like, window into uh-huh. your brain. Yeah, there's a little window. He's very that. prolific, lots of ideas. But yeah. I also want to echo, because if you guys are familiar with human design, which I am a little <laughs> bit obsessed with, Vans is a manifesting generator, which is all about life force. So this, yeah. I believe this is even pre-design. You sort of intuitively knew yeah. that you were here. Yeah, uh, it must have been intuitive. It must have been. Yeah, I think that just flowed out of me. And it's good. Thank you for reminding me of that. Because I still sometimes forget as I'm looking at the projects in front of me. I'm like, oh, do I really want to work on that one? Do I really want to do this corporate work? Do I want to collaborate with this person? Do I just want to be my own thing? You know, I still get lost in the weeds sometimes. But being able to remember what your purpose is or what you really want to do um, is super helpful. So thank you for that reminder. I'm happy that that's still... I mean, Alyssa's joy for me, but uh, I think there's nothing to be nervous about. I think that's what you remember. It's your truth. Yeah, it is my truth. I think that the way I use my little Evernote folder (laughs) is just where I do all of my brain dumps so I don't edit myself. I just throw stuff in there almost like, you know, collecting pieces of um, cloth to sew a quilt later. So so I wasn't sure how it was going to look when I pulled it out of the trunk, but I think— I'll still own it. I'll still keep it. Yeah, I think uh, it holds up. Yep. And I think it's a good uh, summary of yeah. what I know of you. Yep. And certainly uh, a compass, which hopefully, you know, there's some people listening that can also uh, hear some of your purpose and hopefully it inspires them to write their own mm. uh, statement. Mine is not nearly as long-winded as Vance's. It's just very succinct. I'm just here to speed up consciousness. <laughs> That's it. That's the That's whole it. thing. I think you're doing it. Uh, it's yeah. not a as a flowery, yeah. uh, but then again, I am a very direct person. You are. You are. I think if I had to make mine more succinct like yours, um, it would just be, I, I want people to feel life energy. Yeah. More simple. This is Simpler. exciting. So in a post-Instagram museum world, yeah. what do you think the next wave of immersive experiences is? And I mean, we're living in a very odd time. So, so what has been on your brain in terms of Oh How man, to that. I I uh, I might have to edit myself a bit because some of the some of the things that I think are happening are in motion and they involve collaborators who I think, you know, I want to respect that process. So keep it abstract, I, but give us yeah. A I think having just heard the mission statement, I don't think this is going to be a surprise to anyone. But I'm very 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 intrigued by ways to keep people grounded in their bodies and in their immediate environment around them, around oneself, when everything is pulling you from the outside looking in. An Instagram museum 
It's literally like you're jumping outside of yourself to look at yourself and like to attack yourself or like to perform fun. That's not fun. That's not, I mean, maybe it's fun getting the likes on Instagram, but that like maybe, maybe that's a nice little dopamine flash. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in, and it may not be the newest thing. It's probably been around forever. In fact, I know a lot of this has, but like what are the ways that we can keep people grounded in their environment and grounded in right here and right now are things that I'm very, very interested in. Um, in terms of immersive experiences, I'm also, I'm also interested in uh, how we hold space differently, uh, how we occupy space. Space in the theater world, especially in the immersive theater, theater world, it can be very, very white. And the way we take over the space is very, very white and capitalistic. And I'm trying to think um, or remind myself of different ways that we can be in space. I know that's in the abstract, but, but it's something that I'm really interested in. Um, I'm interested in what I've always been interested in, building community. So what are the, who are the individuals that need a larger community, who need a larger support system? Um, I have a lot of experience in, you know, white gay culture. I am learning a lot from younger queer people, LGBTQIA plus people. And I'm looking and I'm listening to figure out what sort of spaces or experiences um, they want to hold their community together. I don't know if you call that an immersive experience, but I think it's, you know, a variation of the same idea about how to bring people together in real time to experience something greater than themselves. Um, I'm fascinated by where technology is going and how technology can be integrated into this experience or support the experience in a way that doesn't usurp it, in a way that still supports the humanity of it. And I have some fun projects with some really smart tech entities that I think you know, it'll be fun when, when they see the light of day. Um, yeah, there's, there's there's literally 500 ideas sitting on post-it notes in my apartment. That it's we accurate. Can go yeah, it's accurate. It's fully accurate. I think in terms of Evernote and post-it notes. So, yeah, yeah. So now at the end of this session, yeah. we do a little rapid okay. fire questions. So don't think. Okay. Just respond. Oh, As a manifesting generator, just respond. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to hit you with five questions yep. and just say what comes to top of mind. Okay. Great. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Be weird. Just be weird. Like your weird part is the thing that people love and that's what's going to – that's <laughs> that's what is, that's what people want to pay attention to and that's what's going to get you the attention. So don't hide it. This is not one of the five questions, but I'm going to ask anyways, what were you doing at 20? I had um, I was in between. I was getting ready to move to New York. So I think I think when I was twenty, I was on dance scholarship in Chicago with like a jazz dance company, like trying to take ballet classes and stuff. And my body is not like it does not want to do ballet. It barely wants to do jazz. It does not fit into that mold. But I, you know, I was I was getting ready to move to New York City. Yeah, yeah. What's the last book you read? Well, the, I'm reading How to Be an Anti-Racist right now. I'm in, I'm in the middle of it, yeah. You and many other many, many others. other people, I think. Yep. Um, but it's a really, really great book. Um, yeah. What are you struggling with right now? I'm struggling with what does it mean to be an adult? I'm struggling with 
and also being okay with it and trying to be very clear about which models of adults I want to emulate and who I don't. And I'm wondering if there's something, <laughs> you know, in, in gay culture, there, there was a generation that disappeared. And I think the idea of adulthood may have been lost for a little, for a moment. So that's something I'm struggling with. That is a thought for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Much more. I'm very curious about that. Uh, okay. That's a really interesting thought. What is bringing you joy right now? My partner, my boyfriend. I have a very, very, very lovely partner who sings and dances and is and leads with the heart and is a giver and a healer and he makes me really happy. Uh, he really is. They're both angels um, who found each other. What is the best wisdom you've ever received? I don't know if this is the best, but in terms of do the work, a cultural critic in New York City, when I was trying to like decide if I was supposed to do a project or not. It was just really simple. He just said, just do interesting work. And I thought it was so almost too simple. I thought it was too simplistic from this guy who <laughs> speaks many different languages and is an academic and blah, blah, blah. But it was so simple. Just do interesting work. And to me, if I'm not interested in it, I don't have to do it anymore. If I know how the story ends, it's not interesting to me, so I don't need to sign up for that. I need to do the work that makes me curious. So we're at the section now where we're gonna do our takeaways from the conversation. So you started with and ended with sort of the same thought, which is do interesting work and be curious about the work that you're doing and think differently. And I think that's been a huge marker in your career for how you've continued to reinvent and show up is you're following what you're curious about and it's made all the difference. You also touched upon shifting how you work. So knowing your self-worth, not being a work for hire and creating structures that work for you. And I think this is a really, really important one because it takes us a while to understand what we can ask for and to stand in our power to ask for it. And I think people need to learn that as early as they can. And I think you and Michaela Cole are a great embodiment of that. And you don't know what you don't know. I love this one because it's so true that the experiences we have color how we move through space. And if you haven't had a certain experience, you don't know. And so it's good to listen to your friends and their experiences to inform your own. And you were blessed to have a mentor like Scott Sanders who really helped you understand what you didn't know and set you on a different path in your career. So thank you, Vance. Thank you for that beautiful conversation. Thank you for being thank here. Thank you, Denise. Thank you for giving me space to tell a little bit of my story. Thanks for being interested. Thank you for being you. And thank you for doing the work and for having done it for a long time. It's showing off. So I'm excited about where you are and where you're going. And thanks for letting me be a part of that journey. What a gift. I'm so grateful. Thank you all for listening. You can continue to listen and subscribe to Do The Work on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. It makes a huge difference if you can review, if you can share and rate this podcast. Thank you so much to Entertainment Speakers Bureau, to Angela, to Nichelle, to David, to Matt, to Smart Post Sound, Lenny for that musical intro, Lindsay for the graphics. I am forever in gratitude. I hope you all find and continue to live in your purpose. Thank you.